Good evening, everyone. It's great to see all of you tonight and all of you that have been praying that I would get my voice back. What is wrong with you? Yeah, because I got this. It's, it's back. It, it's, it's getting there. And, um, but we really did have fun on Sunday. I hope you had an opportunity to be here for our family fun day. It was, it was wicked awesome. We had all kinds of kids here and had a great time. So um, we're just glad you're here. And if and if you arrived at 11 o'clock thinking there would be preaching and because you're like, hey, nobody told me. We have about nine different ways that we would like to connect you with on how you can find out with the things that happen here at Crosstown. So if you are not connected to any of our forms of communication, please come up to us right after the service and let us know because we're not trying to hide anything from anybody. We want all of you there to experience God's best. Why don't we listen as Suzanne reads the scripture for tonight. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they sat before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and the great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I had Suzanne read that because I didn't dare try to pronounce those names that were going past there, and it's like, wow, she was spot on. But you know, what we've been doing this uh, on Wednesdays, the first Wednesdays, this year is we're looking at the issue of this is us. What is the church supposed to be? Who are we supposed to be? And, and, and in the American culture, we've kind of lost our center on what the church should be. And so we've gone back looking through the book of Acts and doing a study of it to kind of find, oh, this is us. This is what we're about. This is what we're into. This is the character and the quality of the relationships that we're supposed to be having with God and with one another. And so we're looking at the first followers of Christ and how they lived, and we're, we're looking into it, that, that this is us, and we want that to be us here at Crosstown, and we want that to be us at home and wherever we are. So as we continue our journey through the book of Acts, the church is growing out of its infancy. Time has clicked off just a little bit, but things are happening really fast. And the Spirit of God is moving on the church, but now the church is not just going to be about signs and wonders. You know, I, the American church particularly is always amazed with the issue of signs and wonders, and, and I, don't, I don't mind a good miracle of seeing it happen, but, you know, it, it seems that there's a time when when God tries to get our attention to maybe a sign and wonder gift. But then there's a time when God wants to deepen our character as a church. And so he begins to change the focus of, of what we're about and, or maybe how we're doing church and, or maybe even who's involved in the doing of the church. 
And I think this word tonight pertains to Crosstown and, and to us as a church because I think we're right at that place where God's saying, okay, you've, you've, you're doing this pretty good and you're doing this pretty good and we got this going. And, and God's like, okay, I've got to change some things and let's, so that we all can grow and take the next step. And, and for the church of Jerusalem, they, they now are moving beyond this, this focus on these 12 guys and God's going to begin to change it. But I, it's really interesting how he does this. Now in the days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews. That's interesting. It's right there in the Bible because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So we need to know that the composition of this early church is, is becoming diverse. We got different kinds of people that are going to this church. Man, isn't that great? Wouldn't that be great if, you know, churches began to think about, you know, uh, embracing the diversity of people in their churches as opposed to let's just have a, a church for the middle class white folks and then have a, another church for the upper class white folks and then have a church for the middle class uh, black folks and then have another church for the, you know, I mean, but, but the, this early church is all of a sudden being thrown together and there's diversity in the middle of it. So they have homegrown Jews who were called Hebrews. That's what they referred to the mass. And when you were called a Hebrew, you were, it, it not only meant that you were Jewish, but it also mean that, meant that you were homegrown. And then there were Greek-grown Jews who learned the Greek language and were raised in Greek culture around the Mediterranean. They were called Hellenists. They were Jewish, but they were raised, they, they had an accent like mine. You know, they were raised from a different area other than being raised in, in Palestine. And so they were called Hellenists. And so they all heard the word of God, and they were all brought together. And not everybody was alike. And I, I think it's really interesting to say, see that if we're looking for this as us, we, we, a beautiful principle emerges we have unity without uniformity. You know, I mean, just think about that phrase. We have unity without uniformity. Not everybody's exactly alike. What we normally do is we try to line up everything the same way. All the women wear the same thing. All the, all the guys do the same things. And, and everybody's the same type of person. But in the early church, we don't have that. We have unity, but we have a without uniformity, lining up all the nice little ducks nice in a row. And when you begin to have a different base of people, kind of a uh, people base in your group, one of the things that emerges is conflict. Now, this is, I love the fact that they had a conflict because conflict doesn't mean something is going wrong. Some of us are just like, oh, no, this is a church of peace, you know? This is a church where everybody gets along. You know, this is where, where God is, you know, there's no conflict at all. And it's like, no, this is where God is. And there's a conflict brewing. And God wanted us to see the conflict. A lot of us, we don't want, our, we don't people, want no, people knowing our business or taking it to the street, you know? We, we put on that good church face and we... 
How's everything going? Oh, it's great, it's great, it's great, but it's really crumbling in the back, and we don't want anybody to know that we're having problems in our lives. The great thing is, as God said, uh, he breathed this inspiration into the scripture. He says, I want the church of 2018 in West Ashley called Crosstown, I want them to know if you're a growing church, if you're a church, you, you have conflict. I mean, you have conflict. It's, it's part of what, what happens when you, you get all these different kinds of people together. Conflict doesn't mean something's wrong. Conflict can be an instigation for change. You know, it, God can use conflict to kind of spur us, to instigate us, to begin changing the way that we do things. Conflict can be an indicator of a, a very good quality of diversity in your church. That means not everybody's yes men, not everybody's in agreement. I mean, one of the things that we do here, I'd put this up against just about anybody, is that half this church is Democrat and half this church is Republican. It's a hoot, especially when elections happen. You know, I mean, it is especially after the last election. I mean, half the people were armed to the teeth. You know, they half wanted to take their lives. And it was like, okay, how do we keep this thing together? And then it's okay that you're sitting next to somebody that's a Democrat or a Libertarian or a Republican. Just think about it. Somebody next to you voted for Donald Trump. And, you, <laughs> and you're like, oh, you know, I can't go to that church. It's like, well, wait a minute. There's something powerful and there's something wonderful. And God wanted us to know that, that his church has diversity in it, different ideas. It has unity, but not necessarily does it have uniformity. But here's the thing. If it wasn't for the conflict, we would not have known how the church handled it. And so the Spirit wanted us to know how to handle conflict we wouldn't have even known that the church had conflict if it wasn't that it took place and they wrote it down. But I love what caused this conflict. Was this a racial issue? Was this um, a them and us issue? I think it's kind of amazing that this issue and this conflict emerges because of a lack of necessary compassion management. They had compassion going on but they weren't managing their compassion. It's like they were failing at being compassionate in a good way, in a, in a way that it was being managed correctly. See, the, I, I think that's interesting. It's like they'd get in an argument about, wait a minute, these ladies over here have been taken care of. That was a responsibility of the church. If you were a widow or a widower, or particularly a widow, that the, the church, your community, was supposed to take care of you, especially if your husband didn't leave you with some sort of endowment so that you could continue life out. And, and so they began to realize, hey, we're feeding over here, and then all of a sudden, wait a minute, we got people over here who aren't getting fed. Well, we need to be feeding them over there. So this is a conflict that broke out because, because they were trying to do compassion and they were trying to do it right. When we look at the question, this is us, we look at this church and we see that this community took care of each other. That's why they got into an argument. That's why they got into a conflict. It wasn't because each of them was going home minding their own business. You could have a church like that. You could have a church where all of us go home. We just don't, we don't get into anybody else's business. 
We're not going to mess with anybody, what's going on in their lives, what's going on in their lives. We go home, and we could be a church with no conflict. And we can think we're a good church because we don't, get, we don't get involved in other people's lives. We could have thought, you know, well, they can fend for themselves. Well, they should have saved up. Well, they should have had a 401K. Well, maybe they should have worked a little longer. Well, they should have planned for this. Um, and, and, they're, and, you know, that's not my responsibility. So you can have a church where it's all nice and clean and neat and everything's perfect and put away because nobody's caring about anybody else. And the paid staff members are the ones that are supposed to care for people. I, I, I remember there have been times we've tried to do things around here at Crosstown in our earlier years and, and people would say, well, get the elders to do it. It's like, what? It's like, well, we need people to work in the nursery. Well, ask the elders to do it. I was like, what do you think? Well, like, they're, the elders are paid uh, nursery workers or something? I mean, that's, that, 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 that's what they do. And, it was, and, and, and in the American church, we have this idea that everything's nice, neat, ready to go. Everything's perfect. Lights are set. You walk in the door. Everybody has their God moment. Everybody walks out. Everything's nice and clean. And we'll just pay certain people to do all the work. And, and that's what church is supposed to be about so I can get back to my business. That's not what was going on here. They were fighting over who was going to get involved. You know, an argument broke out. It's like, listen, we got to make sure we're taking care of everybody. We can't let anybody go out that's not being taken care of. And we need to get involved in this. We need to get involved in the needs of other people's lives. Wow, can you imagine a, a fight breaking out at your house? You know, husband and wife arguing over, you know, well, there's not enough care going here. Well, I'm, I'm going to make sure there's more care. I'm going to put more care. No, I think I'm going to put. Can you imagine having a, a marriage where the people argue because they care that the needs of the other are being taken care of? That seems to be what's taking place here. Now, up to this point, the 12 apostles, and this is probably accurate. You're like, aren't you supposed to always be accurate? Um, but this is uh, it's not actually in the scriptures, but this would be a pretty good estimation that up to this point, the 12 apostles are probably teaching the word of God, praying for the needs of people, organizing all the events, and serving the needs of the community, actually deploying the food. It is really possible at this stage in the church, things have kind of grown. These 12 guys have been identified as they're the paid professionals or these are the guys that do the ministry. We're all getting fed by the ministry. And, and, and that worked pretty good for about 50 people. And then maybe it, it grew a little bit um, more and started to create a problem. And the apostles are still trying to do it. And, and they're trying to help everybody because they have compassionate hearts. And they're trying to serve everybody. But they began to realize if this doesn't get resolved, the capacity for growth is halted. Uh, we just can't do it this way. We can't meet the needs of everyone if, if this is the way that we're going to manage the compassion. If, if these 12 guys have got to do it. You know, there's this thing in biology called uh, indeterminate growth and determinate growth. Uh, determinate growth of, an, of a species, like particularly a lizard or a fish... Determinant growth would mean that it is genetically coded into the creature, the fish or the lizard, to grow to a particular size of maybe about five inches, and that's how big that lizard gets. No matter where you grow that lizard, that lizard's going to grow um, 
uh, five inches. And it's already been determined by genetics. Indeterminate growth means that the growth is determined by the environment. That means if you put that lizard in a little aquarium, then you get yourself a little lizard. You put that lizard in a big aquarium, you get yourself a bigger aquarium. And I used to uh, grow, um, have cichlids, they're uh, uh, fish, a category of fish, and, and they would grow depending on how big your aquarium was. You could end up with a really big one. But it was indeterminate growth, meaning that it wasn't only supposed to grow this size. Well, the church is indeterminate in its growth, meaning that it will only grow as good as the container that, that is holding it. And that's what's happening. It's the church is beginning to grow, but now the environment can no longer sustain the kind of growth. So that means this is not going to grow anymore. That it all stops right here. That it, this church is not going to grow any further unless somebody else... As somebody does something. And I think it's very much like us. Uh, this church is not going to go any further on cool music. This church is not going to go any further on creative communication. This church is going to go no further on a few people ministering to other people for paid professionals to do the job. A, a church just like a lizard will grow to the size of the environment that can sustain it. So the Spirit of God, because God wishes that none would perish, inspires the 12 disciples with a solution. He's like, we got to keep this thing growing. He's like, I want as many people experiencing my word and my spirit and speak, experiencing the compassion and love of God through others as possible. So he inspires the 12 in Acts 6-2, and it says... And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples. Let's get everybody together. I love that. And said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you. And I want you to see what the qualifications were. Pick out from among you some men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, and whom we can appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The 12 realized that the ministry needs people who will serve. People who will, if I can put it this way, discover their table. Now we all don't have the same table to serve, but it was about each and every one of us finding out, God, what table do you want me to serve at? You know, so the disciples weren't setting up a system where it's too important to serve. No, the, the disciples have been serving up to this point, doing it all. Throwing a couple folks up, maybe other folks that are in there. But we pretty much got this small, you know, uh, initial team that's doing everything. And so everybody knows that they're loving. Everybody knows that they'll do anything. Everybody knows Peter will take out the trash if there's trash to be taken out. Everybody knows that um, uh, John will clean toilets if there's toilets to be cleaned. These guys have already established that they're servants. They're willing to do it. But they're now realizing, you know what? This thing cannot grow any further beyond the level of compassion of the people that attend it. 
It's like, that's the only way it's going to go. Pastor Paul can only be so funny. I always think that's, I think that's a hoot. I love your church. It's like, why? Oh, you're so funny. I'm like, really? <laughs> you know, but hey, if that works for you, that's cool. Hopefully in there, there's some inspiration. But, you know, it's like, but, you know, I can, I can only do so much. I have a table. And my table is, is, you know, to raise up some leaders, to teach, and to pray. I mean, that's the table that I'm, I, I'm at. Everybody knows here, when it floods, I'm in here mopping the floor just as much as anybody. Uh, my, the trailers, when the church floods, are, one of them's at my house, and I'm getting up, and I'm bringing it in, and I'm setting it up in the theater, in the school. Everybody knows that when we're putting up drywall, I'm putting up drywall. I mean, it's not a question here. Peter's not saying, hey, we're too good to drywall. Peter's like, dude, we got so much drywall. We need help drywalling because now we're not, we're not teaching anymore. And so he says, you know, let's get some qualified people. Now, when I, if I tell you to do ministry, if that God's calling you to do ministry and you got to be qualified... You may have thought, well, I really don't know the Bible real well. Uh, let me see. Qualifications for these guys. Um, good repute, meaning that, you know, they're good folks. They're not looking to hurt anybody. You know, they don't, they're not given to stealing stuff. Um, full of the Holy Spirit, meaning that their people are connected with God and are constantly seeking God for their lives and to empower them. And there are people who are wisdom. It means that they've got the word of God in them and are starting to deploy that knowledge into their lives. Um, it's like uh, that they have to be able to do a spreadsheet in Excel if they have a PC. Um, no, not there. Uh, they have to be able to, um, be able to uh, do woodwork. No, it's not there. They've got to be able to understand systematic theology. No, it's not there. He's like, what do you need? I just need people who love God, people who are seeking after God and are empowered by God. That's all I need. That's what Peter says. Can you find me a few people that will do that? And so they go out and they get these seven guys. And that was their qualifications. This is not about who's important or who's too gifted. Let me just say, out of the seven guys that get picked just because they're good guys who love God and seek the presence of God and have and have some wisdom in their lives, out of, the, out of this seven guys, two of them go on to some incredible ministries. One of them is Philip, and then his ministry is sharing the gospel with this eunuch out of, from Egypt. Um, and then this eunuch travels over the Mediterranean and probably has delivered the gospel to Egypt. We have archaeological evidence that this probably took place. So Philip shares the gospel with this guy, and he's just a, one of these guys. And then the Holy Spirit takes him. Actually, he disappears by the power of the Holy Spirit and is relocated in another city because God doesn't have anybody else around. So he's Star Trekking everybody around. I mean, seriously, it's like, you know, is that the way that God wanted to do it? Probably not. But he's like, well, we only came up with seven here. So I got to get these seven in a lot of locations. Stephen is so filled with the Holy Spirit that he, he stands in front of the leaders of Jerusalem and tells them all about the plan of Christ. He's so good at it, they're so angry at him for it, that just before he becomes the first martyr of the church, he has a vision of Christ standing and welcoming him into heaven. 
You know, these were guys who, what did they do? They waited tables. They had a table with a bunch of ladies who couldn't provide for themselves, and they took care of them. That was their ministry. Not in America. What do you mean? God's raising me up to do a table. Yeah, that's what he is. He's calling you to do a table. And we'll have a lot of people who will come to Crosstown, and they'll, they'll be like, hey, Pastor, you got any room on your, on your staff? You got any room to hire me because I've got a seminary this and all that other stuff? And it's like, well, you know, I don't have any money for that right now or any room for that, but, but do me a favor. The pathway to staff is relationship and serving. Get involved somewhere. It's like, why? You want me to wait on a table? Yeah, because I don't want to pay anybody to do anything around here that isn't willing first to do it out of compassion. You know, you just, that's a hireling. That's not a shepherd. And so we have this beginning to take place here in this early church. The 12 realized that the ministry needed to have people who were going to discover what their gifts were, where they could serve, where they could find a table. And that table may, that table may not be here. It may be out at the, you know, the Crisis Ministry Center. It may be at uh, Water Missions. It may be in some other location. But the church only grows as the environment has the resources for it to expand. I love what uh, this new author that I've discovered, Rosaria Butterfield, um, I love what she said in her book. She, she said this, Jesus didn't leave us as isolated agents of grace running our own random acts of service campaign. No, he gave us his bride, the church, his church, to which we who believe are called to make a covenant of membership, to become a family, to take care in a daily way of our brothers and our sisters in Christ. Biblical hospitality is using your Christian life, your home, your job, your time, your resources, in a daily way that makes a stranger a neighbor and a neighbor family. That's what God's called us to do. That's how it grows. That's how it grows in a family. That's how it grows in a church, is when we begin to realize that God's given us all the resources to begin to minister to the stranger, to begin to minister to our neighbor, and to begin to make our neighbor our family. That's what the church did. This is us. This community valued the ministry of the word and the ministry of those in need. It wasn't just about good preaching. You know, I, 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 I got saved in the 80s and then kind of got trained in the 90s. And to grow a really good church in the 90s and the early 2000s, you just needed a really good communicator. Or you needed yourself a miracle worker. You know, a Benny Hinn or a whatever. Somebody that had maybe some supernatural magical gifts that would attract people. And, 
And as long as you were a really good communicator or you had some unique anointing on your life, you know, people really didn't want to go to church. It's kind of like, oh, I go, man, the preaching's good there. The preaching's good. Well, what we're learning here is the preaching can be good and the church not grow. That, that's not what makes the church good all by itself. It's because the, the, the disciples realized that if this thing's going to grow, we've got to value not only the preaching, not only the, the music, not only the, the worship, but we got to value those who are in need. We can't be a talent-based church. That the church is as good as its, its keyboards player. Oh, they got a new keyboards player over there at Crosstown. Yeah. That African-American man can sing. I like hearing an African-American man sing. That's why I go to church on Wednesday nights. Because Jason, the African-American man, sounds like a Marvel, you know, should get a t-shirt or something like that. And it's like, let me just say, if you're coming, if, if we're coming because of Jason singing, if you're coming just because of the, the, the cleverness of the preaching, if, if, if that's the quality of our church, the apostles were not even satisfied with that. They were like, listen, this has got to be about the quality of the ministry of our people to the people. That's what makes the aquarium larger. That's what makes the lizard grow, is when people discover, when people like you and me discover the table that God wants us to serve at. You know, I think it's really crazy how the church has gotten off track, and you know, and I can say that because I was the part of the church, so I'm, I was part of the problem. When the, when the passage of Scripture says that the disciples made the statement, now look out among you for those who will serve the tables, there's an interesting word that's used in the Greek there. It's the word diakonos, where we get the word deacon from. So the idea of being a deacon was somebody who waits on tables, somebody who delivers compassion to other people. Now, what is the deacon in the modern church of America? Somebody who has a parking space. Somebody who votes. Somebody who decides what the pastor's going to preach on next month. It's a position to esteem to. That's why if you were to ask me to give you the list of the deacons in this church, we don't have one. Because the biblical concept of deaconship was somebody who has a table and is meeting needs. So when the gals are serving coffee at the cafe, that's their table. So somebody let Christina know, she may not be here tonight, but somebody let her know she's a deacon. You know, let her know she's not going to get paid, but just, just know she's a deacon. You know, um, Ted Ashley back there, he runs the, uh, the Mac with ProPresenter, and then he works in um, Awanas or Power Kids. The guy's crazy servant, crazy servant. 
You know what we call him around here? He's a deacon. That's a deacon. Every one of us who finds a table to serve at, I don't care how long you've been saved, every one of us who find a place to serve, we become deacons. What's an elder? Somebody who's been deaconing for a long time. That's all it is. It's no more complicated. No, an elder is a a board of trustee uh, presbytery member who runs the local insurance company. He's real good at business and also controls how much the pastor gets paid. Oh, my gosh. That is ridiculous. Because, you know, God called us to be a church where we have the word of God, where we have the spirit of God, and where people get ministered to. That's what grows a church. And God's speaking to all of us. And I think he's speaking to us tonight about what table are we at? What table are we serving at? Listen to what happens next in the church. Right after all this, this is not coincidence. This is, this is, we're, we're being, this is systematic theology. He's showing us, oh, we have a crisis of compassion. We've got to fix this crisis of compassion. The disciples admit they cannot do it. So the disciples take the next step, find people who, are, who will find the table to serve. Then what is the next thing that we're told? And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples greatly multiplied in Jerusalem. Let me just tell you, if those table servers did not show up, the church doesn't go any further. You know what you'll end up with? With a church where the 12 do it, you'll end up with Peter worshipers, John worshipers. You'll end up with James worshipers. All the names of the disciples, they will be everybody's, everybody's hero, everybody's savior, everybody's provider. And they'll get their focus off of Jesus. What you'll end up with, a, a, a burnt out Peter and, and John and James. You know, you'll end up with, a, with, with lizards that are only about that big because nobody has time to disciple them. Nobody has time to meet their needs. Nobody has time to serve at the table. But when people began to find their table, the word of God continued to increase. Can I be very clear about this? Maybe we make it too hard. The church is only like months old here. So there is nobody in that church who has been saved more than a year. So if you think you've got to be a Christian for a really long time before you can wait on a table, I'm here to tell you that's not how it happened in the, in the early church. If you have been a Christian and you have not, you are not at a table serving, um, that also is not in the, in the early church, and that's not us. That's not what we want to be. So this is a really, a really beautiful challenge. I love it when God gets in my, in my business. I love it when, when God begins to get into my life and to challenge me. This is us. This is what God wants us to be. A church that doesn't run from conflict. And let me just kind of close with all this. That we're a church that doesn't run from conflict. 
the American church needs to stop getting in fights with each other and going to another church. If you get, guys, if you get in a fight with another guy here at Crosstown, just punch him. Then hug, then kiss, and then come back to church. But no, what we do, we'll send a letter. We really feel that God's leading our family to another place at this time. Don't know where. He thought it would be better for us to be angry out in the desert than reconciled at the table of Christ. Oh, okay, that sounds just like God. That's how churches do it. That's how church, you know, we do it. We get angry, we leave. This was the church that didn't run from conflict. This was the church that ministers to those who are in needs. This was the church that has people who use their gifts. And you may be sitting here right now, it's like, dude, okay, you, you had me at a low. You had me at the beginning of this. I got it. I'm supposed to have a table. You want me, I'm supposed to serve. Got it. What's the next step? Every Sunday morning. I hate to sound like this is like too much of a program, but you know why this is a program? Because this is firmly planted in the scripture. This is us. You find out who Jesus is, you experience the blessing of being blessed by those who know Jesus, and then you return the favor to those who don't know God or those who are growing in the relationship with God. Every Sunday morning at 9.15, we have our growth track class that takes place that will lead you through in four weeks, four weeks, you'll be ready to have a table. Oh, I don't know if I can know that much scripture in four weeks. It didn't say anything about how many verses you had memorized. I mean, it's really amazing. Do you remember who your pastor is? I'm basically like a, like a theological, theological schmuck. You know what I mean? I, I didn't graduate from seminary. I was brought up on court-martial charges. I was arrested for dealing drugs. I've been divorced and remarried. Do you want to hear more disqualifications? So God has put me here. You know why? You know why? It's so that you don't have an excuse. Because he says, look, look what I'm doing with that guy. What's your excuse? You're smarter than he is. You're nicer than he is. You know, and that's, and, you know, but it's all going to come down to, did we find our table? So let me encourage you. Just jump in. If, you, if, you, if maybe that's a little bit too intimidating, come up and ask us. Go to one of the guys in the sound booth and say, listen, I, I like computers. You need help pushing that button? It's like, yeah. What do you do? Push the button. That'd be great. I think I can push the button. <laughs> Sorry, Ted, I didn't mean to demean your, 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 your table back there. But there are buttons back there, aren't there? <laughs> you know, it gets really tough when you get in the nursery. You know, you're going to have to like humans. Little ones, cute ones, you know, darling ones. You know where I'm going on this, and you know what God is saying to us from his word, that we need to be a church that grows in word, and I think we got that. We do. We worship. We love God, and you see it in our worship. We love God in his word. I mean, our woman's ministry, our mentorship ministry, growing in the woods, we've got... We've got more systematic theologians being raised up in this church than I would put against 
any church in this city. Absolutely any church. We got people flipping through systematic theology books, arguing with each other about theology, growing up. It's absolutely incredible. We're good at the word. We're awesome. And we've been good serving. But now that we got more widows at the table, and you know God wants to blow this church out. And it's not because I need to be famous. I'm way over that. Um, we already got famous because we flooded three times. And everybody that comes to us says, we want to go see the group of people that didn't give up on God when they didn't have a solution. When God just said, stand strong and trust in me. People are attracted to that. But I think they're so attracted to that when we show them what God's going to do through us and, and how he's going to work in this church, people are just going to be drawn to it. I have no doubt about it. And it won't work because we have really cool music where we got a, an African-American guy named Jason who sings like incredible, like Seal. Or because we got a, we got a pastor that shows clips from the movie The Cars. Well, we'll grow because the reputation will go throughout the church that we have the ministry of the word that we are filled with the Holy Spirit and we care for those who are at need at the table. That's your calling. That's our calling. That's us. Father, as we enter into this moment, we all come to you. And Lord God, maybe we have let our failures stop us. Maybe we have thought in comparing ourselves to one another that we're not as good as the other person, so we don't, have a, we don't have a calling. We don't have a gift. We don't have a ministry. Maybe, Lord God, we have said, I just don't have time. But today, speak to each and every one of us. Because this is us. And this is the us that you want us to be. To be a church of the word church of your spirit, a church that cares for those in need. So speak to every one of us. We just ask that you would move your Holy Spirit in every one of our lives. As we're in this last song together, let it be a time where you, you, you're letting the, the Holy Spirit come to your table, your life, where you present your life to him you let him get down in the depths of who you are because the qualifications of a table person is somebody who's encountering God why not why not tonight why not ask him to fill you with his spirit and then to begin to speak to you about your table we thank you father we thank you father so as we're worshiping in this song to speak to him our pastors and elders and whatever else we call people who pray a lot will be standing over to the side and if there's something in your way something that makes you think that you're disqualified or you need to hear more from God we invite you to just go and ask somebody to pray that's their table they can't wait for you to come up and to pray with them so let's just spend this last few minutes talking to God.